0: Injured at work in a motor vehicle accident or had a fall in a public space? Speak to Your Claim Lawyers, a no-win, no-fee, personal injury claims law firm that specialises in maximising compensation claims for injured people. Call 1-800-YOUR-CLAIM or yourclaimlawyers.com.au On 882 6 br, inspiring stories for Barra and O'Day, WA's family-owned funeral directors.
1: Hello, my name is Tim McMillan. Welcome to another episode of Inspiring Stories, brought to you by Bower and O'Day, doing ordinary things extraordinarily well. In this episode, we are going to hear the story uh, of a former AFL player who finished his career at the West Coast Eagles, but prior to that uh, was a member of one of the great teams of the modern era uh, at one of the most prestigious clubs, I reluctantly have to say, uh, the Hawthorne Football Club. Nowadays, he's a dad and getting up very, very early also to uh, fulfil a breakfast radio commitment as well. I speak of Xavier Rellis, so Xavier, or the X-Man, welcome to the show. Great to be here. Thanks for the invite. It's an absolute pleasure. Uh, What's more taxing on you, getting up to do breakfast radio or being an AFL footballer?
2: Um, AFL footballer by far. I've got a little motto with breakfast radio, and I implemented it very early in the piece, because the alarm does go off, especially in winter. It's still quite dark. It's... uh, when I leave at 4.30 or 5 or whatever it is, I always say to myself, I could do with half an hour sleep, but yep. so could everyone. So <laughs> anyone that's going to work at 7 in the morning, they'll be walking outside the front door going, oh, God, I'm tired, I could do with another half hour. If yeah. yeah, people leaving at 8, I could do with another half hour, I just do it at 4.35. So yep. once I've gotten to that motto that everyone's tired when they go to work and I do knock off relatively early, that uh, I'm pretty good with the
1: hours. And, and how are you juggling it all? Well, I know you've got a, a little one now as well. You're a relatively new dad. Yep. How are you juggling the sleep deprivation that goes with being a dad anyway, but yeah. augmented by the fact that you're also doing breakfast It's funny,
2: yeah, the priority does shift straight away to, yeah. to the sun, so if I turn up to work a little bit tired and grumpy, it's, I try not to be, but it's just <laughs> it's bad luck, because all the energy and stuff goes into the sun, and Emily, my partner, she thought it'd be a really wise idea in her nine months of maternity leave to do her MBA, so... Right. <laughs> yeah, fantastic for, for her now that's for, you know, for future employment and that sort of stuff. But for that nine month period, I'd come home at 10 o'clock, eyes almost dragging along the footpath, and be handed the young baby to then go sit down. And we've become very good at looking at ducks. We go down to the yeah. the lake and we sit there and stare at ducks. He's happy with movement in the water. For me, it's like a bit of a screensaver on one of those old computers. i would sit there and stare at it yeah. for about an hour and yeah. off we go. So, um, yeah, it's tiresome at times, but I mean, I love what I
1: do, so yeah. you know, it's, I'm pretty fortunate. How on earth did you end up in breakfast radio after a career in, in AFL football?
2: Yeah, it's quite funny you know, actually.
1: It's, a, it's a, you know, life after football can mean so many things. It yeah. doesn't always mean that it
2: does, and there's, it was just, there's often a state of panic. And for mine, I love footy, and I still absolutely love it, and would love to one day make my way back into to professional footy in some in some form, but. I wanted to stay in coaching, but I, I probably wanted to get away from West Coast a little bit. I, I moved over when Adam Simpson came over, so I've known Simo for a long period of time. And I wanted something to change. Of course, in Perth, there's only two teams, so um, the opportunities are, are few and far between. But I got into Breakfast Radio with uh, as the representative for the West Coast Eagles on the Hit ninety two nine. Mm. Uh, once every fortnight, I'd go in there for their home games. But I got that role on a New Year's Eve night at Luke Shuey's house. Uh, him and his and his uh future wife they were having a party and um I might have had a few under the belt and was carry, carrying on like a bit of a pork <laughs> chop and just so happened to be that the content director of uh the network was there and thought this, this bloke's a bit of a loose cannon and enjoys a bit of fun. and Let's put him on the radio. Let's put him on the radio. And, of course, a lot of people in those sort of roles where they invite the Eagle or the Fremantle Docker to come in and um, speak pre-game and stuff, they target the superstars and everyone wants to hear from the superstars. So I can imagine the disappointment when the Eagle supporters are tuned in to see who's up next and they hear my, my name. But, um, yeah, I just enjoyed having fun, and that's how yeah. I actually got invited in there. And um, lo and behold, did a weekend show. And then um, the people previous to me, Will and Woody, who are really dear friends of mine from school days, uh, they took a roll back over east, and sort of skipped in and, and stole yeah. their seat, and away all we all went. All in the timing,
1: yeah. yeah timing. I must say though, as a, as someone who's um, you know been in the media and also uh, been just a casual consumer of media as well, it's refreshing to hear a professional athlete, particularly an AFL footballer, who can actually just be themselves in front of a microphone because some of them just get so drilled and schooled in yes. what to say that personality is just extinguished altogether.
2: Yeah, it's funny. I, I sort of draw back to a conversation I did have with Adam Simpson moving to Perth. No one knew me over here. and I think I was probably a little bit machine-driven over east. I didn't do a lot of media or anything over there, but we mm. played in a few grand finals, so there was obviously attention. And I think I stuck to the company line to the dot, you know, dot the ice, cross the T's completely. Mm. I came over and Simo said, no one knows you over here. So if there's something in your personality that you've never released in football or you've, you know, something you've never done, try it because no one knows you. No one's going to judge you. They just think that's you. And sure enough, day one, I walked in with my hat back to front. I'd never done that before. I was like, ah, <laughs> oh, with my hat back to front. No, everyone thinks I'm pretty cool. But I think that was probably just something now I take into into life is just have some fun. There's a lot of political correctness that goes on in society these days. Yeah. And I mean, I think I'm, Smart enough to not go over the the line, but sometimes you can get pretty close to it. And you know, if your opinion, you're passionate about it, make sure you you speak it. And you know, people might be offended,
1: but it doesn't mean they're right. You are a sharer, though, aren't you? Some of the personal stuff that you have shared, either on social media or on your radio show. Yes, I am. And I suppose you have to be in that in that role, but you yeah, don't, you don't mind putting it out there, do you?
2: No, you're right, and I think that's probably the best way to get people. in in radio and media, as you'd know, that it's a lot about the relationship you have with the listener. So. If you can pull that barrier down that uh, you're not just speaking to someone through a, a car radio, that you actually know the person a little bit, that the comfort and the relationship grows and people like you a little bit more. So I've always been a bit of a share, and that's probably from boarding school days where yeah. you're sharing a room with, you know, four blokes and yep. you know, you're showering and you're, you're sharing everything together and you don't yep. have your parents there. So if anything's on your mind or whatever, you share down that path. And of course, I'd sort of try and do it in a bit of a light-hearted way at times too. Yep. and. Emily, my partner, she uh, occasionally comes home and you know, once she puts that on social media, it's gone. So yeah, yeah. she catches hold of it about six hours after it's been up on the internet or something. I said, there's no point whinging about it. It, it is gone. You cannot get that back now. I apologise, yeah. but it's gone. <laughs> <laughs>
1: um, the backlash that you might get from that sort of stuff that you put out now about personal life, about your wedding, for instance, yep. about, about your baby, um, how does that compare to the sort of backlash you'd get as a player? So personal life stuff, I don't mind because I was probably,
2: during footy, I copped a little bit of criticism just purely because I was a high draft pick, didn't meet those uh, lofty standards of a number three draft pick, just to name a couple, you know, Chris Judd is one. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So I copped a fair bit of criticism about just not being a a star footballer, which gave me a bit of a thick skin along the way. Early on, I was a little bit worried about it and I'd read things and think, goodness me, that's that's upsetting or, or whatnot, but... Now I've just sort of realised through that I, I implemented something in my life which is probably so far wrong it's not true, but it makes me feel better about myself. That The person who's heckling me through Twitter, over the phones, in text or whatever it is, I instantly just think my life's better than yours. You'd mm. swap with mine in an instant. Mm. And that could be Prince Harry on the other end, or that could be Michael Jordan. It could be anyone, but I've just managed to convince myself that that's yep. the way I think. It's and then what problem. they're saying is not hurtful. That's their issue. Um, they'd want to be sitting where I'm sitting. I'd do a little bit of boundary writing for the AFL now, and um, I've put on a little bit of beef and <laughs> and that's fine. I often have a bit of a laugh about it myself. But when people get hurt, per- if someone says to me, um, gee, have you've, you've you've put on a bit of beef. I'd love to have a beer with you or something. That's fine. But when someone says, "Gee, you're a fat this and that," and you you know, da, 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 I sort of just think you're sitting here watching the football. I'm getting paid to do it. Just yeah, know, there's just that fine line where I just try and say the envious, relax, chill out. And that's really made my skin a fair bit thicker now, where I can cop yep. a fair bit. Where I just yep. a bit like a cricketer with a new ball, just sometimes let him go through to the keeper. But then sometimes. <laughs> Depends what day it is. I might, uh, I might write something back. But often, you know, a response I use on social media is just, gee whiz, you're a nasty pasty. Yeah. And people have got nothing to come back from that. And often the next morning people will text in or tweet in or whatever they do and say, sorry, mate, I just had too many beers. <laughs> and often, <laughs> often it's just I've had too many beers. So, yeah, um, yeah just thick skin and laugh it off. And, you know, as I said, yeah. the, the, what I use to try and avoid
1: feeling bad about myself is so far from the truth. But mm. for me it works. Looking back over your playing days, and perhaps we should go back here in reverse chronological order. Yep. Um, you, you mentioned when you had the opportunity to come over here, Um. you know, things had kind of reached a natural conclusion, I think. Yeah. Fair to say. Yeah. At Hawthorne, speaking of putting on weight, I remember you saying at the time you'd become as fat as a house. Yes, I was. Uh, Absolutely. I think fair to say also that injuries had limited the amount of exercise you could probably yeah. do. And you maybe enjoyed a couple of the... Um, off-field beers that you were able to enjoy at that time. But in terms of the fresh start that you were afforded coming over here, what was that like? So I think at the end of Hawthorne's
2: period, I was a little bit probably bitter, I suppose. Um, When you sit and watch a lot of teammates doing what you love doing and you're sitting there injured, I mean, if you had said to me, Xavier, if you don't give your absolute 100% in every minute of your life to football or you'd be injured as much as I was... I probably could have made changes to my life. But at the time, I thought I was doing enough to be, you know, I'll rehab it, I'll follow the doctor's advice, I'll follow the physio's advice, I'll be back playing, and I'll play 250 games. You know, look at Grant Birchall, who's played 250 games now when he was my draft, and he just had such a clean run at the start. So I was a little bit bitter that I just never really got going and never really got to play in my prime. But that's probably fallen on me a little bit. I had an injection in a grand final, which probably cost a fair bit of time as well in 2012. Mm. So... A little bit bitter about that, but in the end when um, I actually flew over to visit Fremantle mm. um, about potentially joining Fremantle at the end of my time at, at Hawthorne, which, yeah, you, know, you look back now and reflect and it was such a wonderful time and, you know, the bitterness as well and truly gone. And it was such a, you know, fine layer of once that was gone. So I flew over to Fremantle and uh, met with them and obviously they were pretty interested to see what the leg was doing. I had a significant um, calf injuries and Achilles injury that... Uh, I was over and they sent me to get a scan in Subiaco, which obviously is right near where West Coast is. And it mm. just so happened to be Adam Simpson texted me at the time and said, mate, you should come check out how big my desk is. My office is ginormous. <laughs> I'm, and being assistant coach at Hawthorne, there's literally four desks, like, like we are in the radio studio here. You've, you've got no personal space. Yeah. It's one big desk and you just join in and off you go. He said, I've got my own desk, got my own TV, I've got my own whiteboard, come check it out. And you know, I went in there and uh, had a good chat to Simo, who I'd spent five years with at Hawthorne. Did some really personal stuff with Hawthorne, uh, with sorry, Simo at Hawthorne, running together occasionally and not just running and doing a tough session. It was more just long distance runs where you'd talk about things. Yeah. And I I mentioned to him that I'd probably look for a new opportunity at the end of the year. And so I went in there and um, had a couple of hours to fill between the scan and did the scan and walked out and I think landed back in Melbourne and signed with West Coast. So it was just a chance thing that I was in Subi, Simo had texted me. Um, to pop in and see how big his office was. and um, You were obviously impressed with the size of his yeah, office. Yeah, I was impressed. So. And I said, so where does um, a broken down delisted free agent wear his office? And they said, yeah, mate, you're locker number 39. Get back there. So, yeah, no, I was really fortunate at the opportunity to get over to Western Australia. I needed to get out of Victoria. Yeah. I was a country lad. Um, I went to boarding school at the age of 13, I think it was. And by the time I'd done a long period of time in Melbourne, it was just too big. And I didn't enjoy change. it. And I was probably doing things, as I said, that wasn't, exactly as you would be as a professional footballer, going out too much, punting too much, all that sort of stuff. Mm. But I just needed a circuit breaker, and um, I'd met a, I met a girl who was Western Australian living in uh, Melbourne at the time and just so and uh, worked out perfectly that we've... Dragged you know, her home. Well, she stayed, actually. Funny enough, she stayed for 12 months in Melbourne and assumed I'd be injured and delisted in 12 months. <laughs> yeah, she openly says it. She said, oh, I reckon you'll be back in 12 months. And I said, bugger you, I won't be back. I'll be, I'll be back... Uh, in a few years, maybe, but, um, yeah, lucky I love West Australia, so yeah. uh, we are sold up and we're, you know,
1: really stuck down here now. You're you're a West Aussie through and through now. I absolutely love it. Good stuff. Um, all of those stories about your Hawthorne days and the days prior to that, hold those for a moment. We need to take a break. This is Inspiring Stories. Uh, in this episode, with Xavier Ellis on two six br. back with more soon.
0: You're listening to another inspiring story brought to you by Barra and O'Day. This is Inspiring Stories with Tim McMillan on 882 6PR brought to you by Barra and O'Day. Welcome back to
1: Inspiring Stories. We are hearing the story of former AFL champ uh, Xavier Ellis, who has a premiership medal to his name back in 2008, but let's go back earlier than that. You have got a story that sort of suggests a fair amount of, of AFL pedigree. You went to one of the, the prestigious colleges in in Melbourne that really has a reputation for churning out AFL footballers, and you are a boarder there. So, so yep. tell us uh, about your very young days. Where is where is the family home?
2: Yeah, so the home is, I say, Lakes Entrance, which is country Victoria. We're actually the next town on, which is Lake Ties Beach. It has a pub
1: and a, a general store, and a, that's about the, the works of it. But oh, I remember going there a couple of times during my days living and working well, when it flooded. Yeah, if, well... if it rained a lot... Property prices used went. to be okay at Lakes <laughs> Entrance until they put those levees down,
2: and now it's not worth anything because half the time you've got to pull in the backyard. But yeah, it is exactly. a beautiful part of town. You've got the yeah. ocean and all yep. that sort of stuff. So that was me, and it's about 450Ks from, from Melbourne, which when you're young and you're playing football for Lakes Entrance, you travel to Orbost, which is mm. know, 80Ks away or 60Ks away. Yeah. Not much. You do that for the whole day. But when you get a bit older and you come to Gippsland Power, which is uh, the equivalent of a uh, uh, Waffle Colts, mm. Side you're travelling from the uh, you know, Lakes Entrance to Bendigo, which is a seven hour, seven and a half hour drive to play a game of footy. You have got to be there at, you know, midday. You're up, you know, before the sun gets up. So that became a little bit hard. And um, my dad was a, a boarder. His dad passed away at a very very young age, and boarding school was the opportunity for him to without yeah. a father to sort of have some sort of father figure. So he went to boarding school and absolutely loved it. And I, I wasn't a big fan of it. I wasn't keen. I was more than happy to do the the travel every day, but I I think probably when I look back at it now, maybe Dad wasn't overly thrilled with <laughs> fourteen say, hours in a day. Farming family or just no, a, Dad's White, a White Lake So Dad's a barrister. Uh he he was a country boy from Finley, so Shane Crawford um home hometown and Tom Hawkins' yep. is hometown actually, which is I'll get to him in a second. But um yeah, he just loved loved the country and um we, we we're lucky enough we had a place in the city as well. So if mm. Dad was working in the city he'd work up there for a couple yep. of nights and then always retreat back to the to the country, mum was a physio, so uh, also, you know, enjoyed the country life. And, mm. yeah, you know, in Lakes Entrance to paint it, it's probably a bit like down south. Yeah. To a degree, quiet and, you know, a bit cool in winter and that sort of stuff. But so I ended up going to a sale, which is uh, Gifts St. Grammar, which was a really nice school, and but it was right bang in the middle of Melbourne and Lakes Entrance. So I really didn't fix the predicament of driving a lot for footy and that sort of stuff. So I played a game for Vic Country under... 14s it must have been and Melbourne Grammar were there looking for a, a player and they had a, a player identified who was uh, his name was Dean Sheets I still remember it and, and um, I played on him so I I did okay that day and uh, Michael Ford who played a, a little bit of football at Western Bulldogs sort of changed his path and, and suggested that maybe if we were looking to bring in leadership scholarships and that sort of stuff that uh maybe I would go to in front of Dean Sheets and um they came to me and said, would you be interested in Melbourne Grammar? And the financially, we could, we could go to Melbourne Grammar. And um, Dad sort of said, yeah, that's great, but I really want my younger son to also come in. We'll, we'll do the full quota or whatever it is, but we'll jump the queue and, mm. and board as well, which obviously it's hard to get a boarding position at times. You've got to be in, at a young age. So me and the little brother packed up the bags and moved to Melbourne Grammar. And um, Did your brother hate you for that? Well, he ended up being—he was there for two years before he was vice captain of the school. So he—he was—I'm from a pretty academic family, and it, it just yeah. skipped me. I just don't—I—I don't, I still don't understand how it skipped me. And then my mum's really tanned, and I'm, you know, deathly pale, and it, it, I just don't have the similarities
1: as everyone else has. <laughs> have you done the ancestry.com uh, mouth swap at all yet?
2: Well, no, the little brother and dad have done it, and I was like, well, that—that that doesn't help my situation. And um, and dad—dad dad played reserve football in the country you know, a tiny country town. So he was hopeless. And one of my fondest <laughs> memories of um, Dad playing football was he took a mark 45 metres out, and I thought, oh, that's my Dad. I'm so proud of him. He went back and kicked it, and it went at right angles through the canning window and knocked the dim sim machine over. And that's how, <laughs> that's how talented Dad was. So he was he was hopeless. But
1: Melbourne, my first day, I walked in and... Um, He's done a deal with the devil then. He has. He's traded the academic skills then for the footy skills. Yes, that's he has. Like, but, yeah.
2: Absolutely. And uh, my first roommate at, at school was... Tom Hawkins, who's now a Geelong champion, and I walk in and I was a little bit worried because he's this giant big guy. He had the body of an 18-year-old then. He was quite big and muscly, and I was a little bit nervous because I was a small little country whippet, and um, the first thing Tom said when his mum, who, who's no longer with us, unfortunately, Jen, she goes, Thomas, do you want your jocks in the front, on the top drawer or the second drawer? And I was like, this bloke's a big soft. He's got mum unpacking his jocks. I'll be okay, <laughs> I think. So, yeah, I was very fortunate to go there for a few years and uh, yeah. here, play a fair bit of footy. We... We never won the the premiership, but we blew every opportunity in the last round every
1: year, so yeah. we, we were big chokers. Yeah, and just to put it into context, you know, Melbourne Grammar is one of the elite schools. It's, yeah, and, and you, you're playing against the other. Yeah, we are. Also, you yeah. know, I think Xavier College is... Xavier's in there. Uh, Scotch College but, is, a,
2: is yeah. a big one, and of, of course, Geelong Grammar. We we go down there. We, that was actually the easiest kill you'll ever have was mm. beating Geelong Grammar, which now I've had some really good footballers coming out of Geelong Grammar, but. It's a really good uh, environment to go to school in, and the yep. boarding side of thing was, was fantastic. But for me, I think probably Melbourne Grammar were a little bit disappointed that mine and Tom's VCE, which is now ATAR, our results counted towards their overall averages because we <laughs> certainly didn't help that situation. But in terms of football, then we behaved. We, we weren't the, the sharpest yeah. tools in the shed, but we behaved, we had fun. I think we probably represented the school
1: in, in pretty good light throughout that journey, yeah. Mm. Uh, and then post-school, uh, obviously... You know, football kind of happened for you, but uh, did you have a plan B? Uh, Well,
2: I was really, really lucky, actually. I was drafted at the end of year 11, so um, when people are probably getting a bit nervous about year 12 and directions they want to take, and I was picked up early in the draft at the end of year 11. So year 12, I said to each club that that spoke to me that my passion and my number one priority in life is to play AFL football. That's my absolute dream, but I think, and probably it hasn't really come to fruition at the moment, but... I'd need to finish year twelve. Not so much for an education, but for experience, life experience, friends. Yep. And I was really grateful that every club I spoke to were, were pretty good. There was one that was a little bit uh, a little bit freckly on that idea and it was an interstate club and they thought that potentially I should be schooled interstate and I was pretty settled where I was. But every club I spoke to in Melbourne said, Yep, no worries, you do that and we'll we'll speak to you virtually in mm. twelve months. Um Hawthorne were fantastic. So I actually broke my broke my foot in uh, in year twelve anyway, so there was no footy for me bar a couple of games but um, so in terms of planning for life after football didn't work it was
1: probably unnecessary a little bit Mm. because I was drafted out of contract and ready to go. You mentioned being the number three draft pick yeah who who was one and two in that year do you remember? Yeah number one was um, Mark Murphy yeah
2: and number two was Dale Thomas so Daisy so I was bottom age which was a bit strange I don't think you can be bottom age to the degree I was then which I I was really young which was why I thought it was really important to finish school but Our Gippsland Power midfield was um, Trent West, who won a premiership for Geelong as a ruckman. Scott Pendlebury, uh, obviously one of the best players of the modern era. Dale Thomas, who just finished playing his two hundred fiftieth game. myself was in there. There There's another three pick draft pick the year after in there. So it was, we had a pretty good team. We won the premiership that year, and um, yeah, it was great fun. It was one of those ones where, if we were individual, would have we been drafted? where we were or did we make a really good team that sort of highlighted that mm. we could we could play? But um, our big country team, I was talking, speaking to someone the other day, we didn't win a game at under-18 level and our midfield in that instance was Sean Higgins, Joel Selwood, uh, Scott Pendlebury, Travis Boak, Sean Grigg. Um, Sean Grigg and myself were on the wings and we used to do paper of rock to see who had to play on the one that looked most um, threatening, <laughs> the toughest, the like looked most toughest, me and Sean Grigg for yeah. not to play on them. So we had an unbelievable sort of growing up. We grew up around some fantastic footballers, but
1: um, you know we couldn't get it together at under eighteen level. Yeah, um, Hawthorne, getting into a, a setup like that, yeah. a, and in such a golden era uh, for the Hawthorne Football mm. Club, um, how do you feel you you settled into the mix there?
2: Yeah, well. As I said, I was at school for the first 12 months and the, probably the first opportunity, but I'd pop in and out every now and then mm. and Clarko would give you a call. And um, Clarko, for those who don't know, an, he comes across as a really angry ant, but he's one of those Well, people, he does a bit, yeah. <laughs> well, for, there's a story that came out in the weekend that one of the boys, he assumed it was Grant Birchall, was a little bit lonely, he doesn't have a, a partner, living by himself. Alistair Clarkson went out and bought him a Labrador um, during the week and dropped it off to him on Saturday night and said, mate, this might help with your, your loneliness. So yeah. he went and bought him a dog to, to help him. But uh, he cares. He cares on a really deep level. Yep. He has those tough conversations. But yep. there was a period of time where Clarko used to um, get in trouble with the media all the time. Yep. He'd fly off the handle and everyone would be like, Clarkson's a loose cannon. He's not good for the footy club. But if you went back and did some research on when he went off his head or, or created a bit of a scene, there was always something going on in the background with a player. Yeah. There was always something. Something had happened, yep. and they were the highlight of the week, and then yep. Clarko would he'd do anything for his players, and that was his way to deflect from them and take the pressure onto himself. So he, he was a fantastic man. I remember he rang me in year 12 when I was studying. Dave, there was a prelim final West Coast uh, Adelaide over at Amy Park. We flew over there with his young daughter, who now, yeah, it's funny, Mm. I remember her as a three- or four-year-old then, and now she's 19 and in uni. But, Mm. you know, he he cared that much, that he thought it would be a great opportunity for us two to go to Adelaide for a night, watch a prelim final, share footy experiences, get to know his daughter and, you know, his own family life a little bit. So, yeah, Hawthorne early days were were so lucky they nailed the draft with Franklin Lewis roughhead. But I think they're probably luckier they nailed Alistair Clarkson because yep. if he didn't nail that draft, he would have nailed the next draft. Or he, yep. would have, he, he would have set that dynasty up one way or the other because he's yep. such a, a footy head. He, he changes the game and it, it's it's funny to see, and they're not so much at the moment because Hawthorne are battling a little bit, but he'd implement something into his game plan and then 12 months later coaches would try and do the same thing. But Clarko's yeah. moved on to something else. Yeah. And you, it was like a, a little line of baby ducks following yeah. mother
1: duck across the road and Clarko yeah. was always just too far in front of everyone. Yeah. I want to talk more about that, uh, that dynasty at Hawthorne after the break. This is Inspiring Stories on 882 6 br. Back with more shortly.
0: You're listening to another inspiring story brought to you by Barra and O'Day. This is Inspiring Stories with Tim McMillan on 882 6 BR. brought to you by Barra and O'Day.
1: Welcome back to Inspiring Stories. Xavier Ellis is our special guest for this episode. Xavier, uh, talk us through your debut. Uh, it was your senior debut, that yep. is. Brisbane Lions, round one, 2007. Yeah, so... What was it like?
2: At the Gabba, and obviously flying up, I was just turned 19, so... Yeah, obviously nervous, mum and dad flying up. Jason Dunstall did the jumper presentation to me before the game. Drafted as a midfielder. And it's one of those things where you're drafted as a midfielder. And I was so fortunate I was behind the Lewis's and those sort of guys and Mitchells and Hodges and, who were 23 maybe at the time. But I was never getting any midfield time. Like, it was <laughs> it was where, where you can fit in. So I played back pocket that night and yeah. uh played on Ash McGrath. Yeah. And I remember... Young kid, skinny, got taken back to the goal square. I thought I was doing the right thing. Jonathan Brown was playing, standing out in front, and all I remember hearing my first game was, "Don't stand there, kid. Won't end well." And I was like, <laughs> "No worries, Mister Brown. Where would you like me?" So um, that was my first game, and I did okay. I didn't back then too. You played probably fifty percent game time. If you'd get fifty percent or fifty-five yeah. percent game time as a young kid, you know, the Christmas, and you thought you yep. th- you honestly felt like you'd played a hundred percent game time because. You'd come off, get a drink of water, go for a walk. The heart rate, the legs were missing. You'd mm. be absolutely buggered. And you'd, that's why you look out know, my blokes like Sam Mitchell who just refused yeah. to come off the ground, whereas yeah. I'd be on the ground for a minute and a half thinking, gee whiz, when's it my turn to come back <laughs> off? But um, we played that game, and I still remember flying back from Brisbane. Back then, now it's a little bit different. It's more open in terms of the front end of the plane because mm. Virgin are sponsors of the AFL. that There was four four business tickets to fly home, and we yep. got... We didn't get smashed, but it was really bad. We played so badly. It was not funny, and we we'll built up like we thought we were going to go pretty well that year as the youngest team in the competition. Anyway, yep. we, we got absolutely smashed, and Clarko, as we were waiting to board the planes, he said, righto, who's got the business? And gave us a bake after the game, because who's got the business tickets? And, in, you know, it might have been Hodgie handed it in, Craw handed it in. Um, yeah, you know, the, big, the big stars yeah. handed in four or so five how, business how, tickets. How were they allocated? I think just the stars. So the club got to nominate who had them. So I think the stars virtually got them that time. And And on a game-by-game basis or at the start of the season? No, game-by-game it moved, but but predominantly the same. And it's sort of all the way through now that the stars often got them. The rich get richer, they say. But um, (laughs) Clark took the business tickets and we all sort of lined up and he just looked at us all and said, you didn't have a go, you didn't have a go, you didn't have a go, you did, you can have one, you didn't have a crack, you didn't have a crack, and literally went through the team and – confiscated and allocated the business tickets to who he thought was the appropriate winners. And <laughs> I got one because it was my first game and yeah. we, just, we didn't have five blokes without a crack. So I was, I was a lucky one to get the business fight home, but that was purely by chance that yeah. um, I was the youngest on the team and, uh, and 20 other blokes didn't have a crack. So fantastic experience, great fun. And, um, yeah, I still remember it quite clearly, mm. but, uh, yeah, I got away from Jonathan Brown that night and, um, yeah, it was great fun. We
1: ended up getting trounced yeah. though. Um, Obviously, that season went quite well for you, though. I think you were uh, nominated or, or, or won the award for the best first year player. Yeah, yeah, At I did.
2: Club? Yeah, no, that was probably a little bit of luck, to be honest. And Clarko was always so good. And it was pretty frustrating, actually, as you get older, to when you're not getting a game and kids are getting a game when they yeah. probably don't deserve one. I didn't deserve games each week. I probably played better football towards the end of the year where I probably earned my spot a little bit more. But Clarko, mm. Clarko and going... I, mean, I think he made a comment this year earlier that it's it's not about finals; it's about silverware. And for him, he's had that in his mind for so long that what does it matter if we finish tenth, eleventh, ninth, whatever it is? If playing these kids and they play badly is going to help us win a premiership much quicker, the kids are playing. So I was lucky enough to string together a few games as as a first year, and mm-hmm. um, yeah, we won the first year player. Missed out on finals that year, which was which was disappointing. I still remember it, uh, and that's probably. The game that Buddy Franklin kicked the goal against Adelaide from the boundary line from 55 meters and double cobbed the crowd and it was one of the best wins I've ever seen. But yeah. uh, unfortunately, I wasn't a, I wasn't a part of that. I, I thought I was going to be. Um, I got told I was probably going to be by the coaches, and then it just didn't go my way at selection. Yeah. And yeah, um, that was probably the first experience of of getting the lemon sars from the team and uh, sitting in the crowd. You sort of in a season you hope they win, but also you, you're looking forward to your 10 weeks holidays and mm. a night out, and I was mm. single and 19 at the time. And I was ready to get out and about, but so uh, yeah, that I missed that opportunity of finals. Stories there that probably can't be told, yeah, can't forum. well. Not <laughs> too many from my end, I was a bit of a watcher back then, and I didn't have much luck, yeah. Uh,
1: 2008 though, yeah, a bit better season, fair to say, for the club, yes, uh, and for you as well. Uh, you got to have a premiership medal hung around your neck, yeah, it was much better
2: season, and um, there was a, a, a fork in the road, I suppose, for me at the time. Uh, About round 10 or 12, we played North Melbourne and I was playing okay, but nothing special at all. And Clarko pulled me and another guy in, and I won't mention the other guy, but um, into a room and said, look, you guys aren't going hard enough at the football, you're not having a crack. You're young kids, you're meant to excite, inspire these older people who are a bit tired. Uh, If you don't pick it up, you won't play for this footy club again. And As brutal as that? As brutal as that, and uh, they had vision to, to prove it. And then Mitch and Hodgie came in and sort of not laid the law down a little bit, but just the, the nail was three quarts hit in, and they just mm. sort of finished off the last quarter, yeah. and and that was the best thing that ever happened to me. I had Campbell yeah. Brown, who was my mentor, who was as tough as nails, and um, he saw black and white. There was never grey area with Campbell, and um, the guy, the other guy, was dropped the next week, and um, I tagged Adam Goods that game, and um, yeah, right, yeah, we went at it pretty hard, and uh, that was sort of the start of being confident. Mm. with what you can do in an AFL. And I never reached any heights at all in the AFL department, but um, that, that back end of that season was probably the best football I played yep. through my 11 years. Um, and even starting in centre bounces and, you know, the first uh, big Friday night we had was Geelong Hawthorne with the two best teams that year by a long way. And uh, there was 90,000 there. It was a Friday night and I was allowed to do the first centre bounce. And I mean, that was just Clarko saying that yeah. you're, you're having a decent go yep. at the moment as a kid. Yep. Um, and you you'll be rewarded by um you know, these big big moments, which was which was great. And again, another thing that Clarko's so good at, he um whacked me over the head ten times but then he also got the towel and yeah, you know, cleaned me up after the fight. So yeah. um, he was brilliant at that sort of stuff. Didn't buy you a dog. He didn't buy me a dog. I could <laughs> back then I couldn't have looked up, I didn't look after myself too well, so the dog would have would have struggled. But to you know, to go on and beat you along in that premiership was yeah. just a day that um I haven't watched it that many times, but you know, I'm sure
1: Yep. As the years stretch on. We had a 10-year reunion last year. It's um yeah, a magic moment. That uh, that grand final, uh, you amassed the most disposals on the ground, 28 yep. on the day. Yes. Was that the best game of footy you've played? It's funny. I mentioned that Friday night
2: game um, just before. I think that's probably the best game of footy i ever played was that Friday night, 90,000 v Geelong. Yep. So going to that grand final, I was super confident. and
1: mm.
2: Super confident in terms of um, the Geelong midfield. And they were the best team. But after that Friday night I speak about, Clarko called us into the footy club on a Saturday morning and literally we sat there thinking, oh, crikey, we did lose by 12 points or 13 points or whatever it was. And he goes on a whiteboard, he goes, here's the three things we do and we'll win the premiership, no dramas. And that was as blatant as it was. And we'd done those three things to a T, going into the grand final. And there was not one player, we were the underdogs, but there yeah. wasn't a player on that team that thought, oh, gee whiz, I hope Geelong have a bad day. It was they need to make us have a bad day. That's how yeah. confident we were. And it was yep. purely such a simple meeting from Clarko. But, uh, you know, and for mine, I was playing on Ablett, uh, Steve Johnson for a bit, mm. Joel Corey, Jimmy Bartell, mega megastars mm. who, when, if, if I'm a 2 out of 10, they're a 10 out of 10. If I lose to Gary Ablett, he's done it to 100 other people, so who cares? So that was one of those things that you stand at a stoppage and look and go, Oh, Joel Selwood, this is going to be fun. And yep. the ball that day bounced my way more times than it didn't. And, um, yep. yeah, very lucky to have played. Mm. And I do say that I underperformed absolutely as a number three draft pick, but I can hang my hat on slightly on the big day when we had won a premiership for a long time, actually played
1: okay. So yep. that's one of the little saving graces I've got. Two more grand finals that you played in. Yeah. And obviously injuries played a big part in the the career progression as well. So plenty to get through. We need to take another break, though. This is Inspiring Stories with Xavier Ellis on 882 6PR. Back with more soon.
0: You're listening to another inspiring story brought to you by Barra and O'Day. This is Inspiring Stories with Tim McMillan on 882 6PR brought to you by Barra and O'Day. Welcome back to Inspiring Stories. Tim McMillan is my name. My special
1: guest is premiership footballer Xavier Ellis. Uh, Xavier, we've just reflected on the 2008 uh, Grand Final and events leading up to that. Uh, The years after that, you were really plagued by some pretty persistent, annoying injuries, weren't you?
2: Yeah, absolutely. I I had a pretty serious hip injury in 2008, which then cost me a fair bit of 2009, and then it just manifested these injuries after injuries after injuries. I couldn't get... Any continuity, I suppose. I think I played one season, which was every game, but it was even it was a pretty ordinary season. I was injured then as well, and you kept playing. So. Just nursing yourself through. Yeah, you, you were, which is a little bit annoying, and, and I did. And it's called inspiring stories. It's probably uninspiring to a lot of people, <laughs> but um, yeah, it was one of those ones where you just, again, if you just could forecast you're going to have so many injuries, you would have done so many things differently. And you had a rule with Clarco two VFL games equal return. Yep. So I played the first game, and the first game was always three quarters. Second game, full game, then you're good to go. And the first, the second game was at Williamstown Oval, and I thought the game was wrapped up. I'd played my minutes, came off the grounds, and then for some reason, stupidly, the game got really tight, and I thought at VFL level I could make an impact. AFL yep. level, I would have been kidding myself, but VFL, I thought I could make a bit of an impact here and went back on the ground above my minutes, which I really shouldn't have done. And I remember doing a smother, and I smothered it. They were about to kick a goal to put him in front. I smothered it, and I landed with the ball on me. I thought, as I was getting up, I remember thinking, that's going to be on the highlights tape for sure. That is the match winner. Yeah. From that stoppage, I got the ball hit to me, and someone slid in and took my knee out. And so I missed a large chunk with the knee injury Then it purely stupidly... Thinking, one, I was going to be on a be highlight. A <laughs> trying to be a hero. <laughs> trying to get on a highlight state. I looked like the fool, and then I missed a large chunk. But I was really lucky to get picked for that final series. Because you only played,
1: what, five games in that Yeah, which season, which, which would have been
2: probably um, subbed a couple of times as well. Yep. So probably five games. But it would have been not many quarters yep. if you broke it down. So really lucky to play and started in that grand final. And um, started okay. Kicked the first goal of the game. And, and then again, um, did a calf, just hobbling around on that knee a little bit. Uh, blew a calf, which then we injected with a fair bit of local just to try and get through. And you, you think if you win that premiership, it's the best thing you've ever done is injecting yep. your, your leg to keep playing. Mm. You lose, and then it doesn't heal for 12 months pretty much. And then they go on and win a premiership in 2013 while you're on the sideline. It's just one of those things, if I'd turned left instead of right or we'd won instead of lost, mm. it, it wouldn't have mattered. But, um, you know, unfortunately we lost to Sydney and probably a game that was played out. And I hope the Sydney Swatters don't get offended by this. But we were... <laughs> the best team on that day. We dominated large, large patches of that play, but we just, Sydney were too good in, on the day. And, um, yeah, we, we missed a massive opportunity, but credit to those guys on the start of that dynasty that, um, you know, the Luke Hodges and yeah. the Franklins and that sort of stuff thought, all right, we've, we've, we've lost one, but that's enough now. So, yeah, yeah that's a, they were champions, those guys. And yeah. people, and you probably see West Coast a little bit this year, I don't think West Coast are as hungry. They don't look as... And that's not anything to do with them thinking they're, they're better than what they are. It's If they retire today, they're premiership players. They've achieved yeah. the goal of what every footballer said it's out to do. And Hawthorne had that instinct in them that premiership play just wasn't good enough. Mm. It had to be double, it had to be triple, it had to be mm. quadruple for
1: some of them. So, yeah, they are a rare bunch of guys. Mm. Um, what was it like being part of that dynasty and being in an absolutely football-obsessed city?
2: Over there, there's quite a few teams. So if you're the 10th to 20th on the list, you're probably out of sight a little bit. But there was times Buddy Franklin, and people see Nick Natanui as being mm. the most recognizable person in WA, tall, black, dreadlocks. Buddy Franklin was twice Nick Nat. Yep. I've never, ever seen anything like it. Well, I remember one night we went to a bar. And we literally walked in, and the whole place almost—it felt like the music even stopped. Yeah. And the rows of people turned and looked, and it was oh eight where he kicked a hundred, and he was twenty-one, and he was handsome, and the whole place stopped. And if people came over to Bud to speak to him, and he—he he wasn't rude to them, but he just didn't give them anything. Yeah, and I was like, "Mate, what's what's going on?" He goes, Zave, if I give one person a lot, my my night's completely ruined because yeah. it's a lot to two hundred people," whereas. Mm. If someone says to me, a Hawthorne supporter says, oh, hi, Zave, I think that's the best thing that's ever happened in yeah. my life. But for Bud, it was it was just something, it was never rude. He was always nice, but it was, it was just something that I have never seen before. And yeah. for him and the confidence of Buddy Franklin, who I think is the, the best player I've ever seen, he one night, and I digressed a little bit, a Friday night Eddie had at the time and um, playing on Paddy Ryder at Essendon, who was playing as a fullback that night and – Bud, I remember sitting there and he's shaking his head and something. And if the star's not happy, you automatically think, goodness me, do I need to run to Nando's and get you a burger? What do you need? <laughs> what, what, what can the, the filler like myself? What can I do for you? What can I do? Do you need a massage? I'll give you a massage. What do you need? He's like, I just don't want to do it to a brother. And I said, what do you mean? He goes, I just don't want to do it to a brother. I'm going to have to kick 10 on him tonight. <laughs> Fast forward two and a half hours later, Bud's kicked 10 at he Had on Paddy Ryder. And that was just the confidence that the guy had. and Wow. And sure enough, and he did it in a joking way, but yeah. it really drew you to him. You were like, "This is going to be something special." Yeah. Bud's got in here. Yeah. and sure enough, ten goals. And you'd play games where you'd think you'd had a quiet game, and you'd come off with four goals, seven. Yeah, you've had eleven shots at goal. I don't had yeah. eleven kicks in the month. Yeah. Like, it was just something else. And Buddy, you know, at Sydney now, I don't. He's not what he was, but the game's yeah. not what it was. So, no. but in 08, he was amazing. Unstoppable. It was, oh, and, mm. He, was, yeah, he, he had everything to match his footballing ability, and mm. you know, he'd drive around the slicked hair and the Mercedes,
1: and it was, it was just great to watch. Um, you did make it onto the front page or into the headlines at times, though. Uh, tell us about the gambling. Yeah,
2: that was headline a...
1: that uh, well, you go down in history.
2: <laughs> yeah, I do actually, and it was an interesting one. And I, we were playing in Adelaide, so sorry, rewind boarding school. Yep, I was eighteen. I went and got a, a tab account open. And, yeah. and on Thursday nights in the boarding house, uh, it was, it was called bank night. So yeah. your parents would give you an allowance and the head, the master of the, the boarding house would come around with a bag of cash and give you your $20 or your $30 or your movie ticket and $10, whatever it was. Yeah. It was so it was bank. It was literally like an ATM. Wow. But, it, and we're not talking large sums of money at all, but I had the AT, I had the TAB card and uh, often the boys would say, oh, I could do with that going to the movies this week. Let's have 20 bucks on Hawthorne on Friday night footy yeah. or whatever it was. So this was early days, and um, we all had these these bets. And by the time I then went and played AFL, I said, look, I'm, I can't bet on footy anymore. So I, I just sort of surrendered it to my brother, just thinking mm. in the boarding house, if you like the basketball or footy or your know, board or the mm. Olympics or whatever it is. Anyway, it was about six months later. He said, mate, uh, it's just triggered that I've been, we've been punting on football a fair bit. I said, no, not on that charge. And he said, yeah. And I'm talking hundreds of bets, I think it was in the end. So sure enough, I had to tail between the legs, driving to a game in Adelaide, heading to Amy Park. I sat next to our PDM. I said, mate, something pretty serious just popped up. I've been <laughs> punting on football. And uh, it hadn't been done before, really. And he nearly fainted, yep. dropped dead at the sight of me confessing to being punting on football because no one knew the consequences back then, really. It was, no. um, you know... It was outlawed, but by how much? Are you going to be missing 12 months of football? Are you going to yeah. be fined ginormous amounts? And it, it came across really ambiguous in the storyline because I wasn't allowed to mention my brother, who was vice-captain of uh, Melbourne Grammar at the time, because he was going to be punished with expulsion from the school. So, mm. obviously, if he was mentioned, it was going to be – the story is going to take a twist to underage gambling at um, at school – so, I couldn't name him. So, the storyline was really ambiguous that my family, a family member had had my card. And of course, people are going, oh, family member, we've heard that yeah. line before. But it legitimately was yeah. a family member punting on football. So, lo and behold, uh, I still remember driving home after the, after the news. I was a lead news story and I'd been cleared. It was uh, one of the finest drives home I've ever had. <laughs> All's well that ended well. Yeah, Hopefully and I think there might have been a winner to... in the account. So when I picked <laughs> it, I cancelled it, Fev,
1: most goals one round it was. Nice one. Uh, just lastly, I just want to pepper you with a couple of questions. You, yep. you mentioned, so Buddy, best player you've seen? Yeah, daylight. Buddy, the yep. best I've ever seen. Nastiest player you
2: played on? Nastiest player I've ever played on would have been Joel Selwood, and he's one of my best friends. We grew up yep. with him, and uh, he actually gave me a little... It's Waterline King hit once, <laughs> and he wouldn't remember it, but Joel Selwood was... For two hours, we'd have a, a dinner on who would win Geelong or Hawthorn each time. Yep, but for two hours, he would walk on yeah, me with you hated him with coals. He'd, he'd throw mm. fire on me if he had to, to win that football. That's how desperate he was. It makes him such a champion. Yep, favourite player now. Favourite player now to watch. So I would have said Mark Lecrae until until last year. I love something about the Frenchman, but favourite player would be Tip on Woody in nah, at Essendon. I think his story, probably his story, yep. the journey and his seasons, probably. Matching up pretty well, but at West Coast, I, I can't go past Josh Kennedy. Yeah, as a, as a West Coast supporter, Josh Kennedy, just his competitiveness and his ability to
1: look so casual. Mm. Yeah, he does, doesn't he? Just walks in, kicks it through the big sticks, and walks what a, back to the do. Yeah, champion. Thank you so much for coming in and sharing your story with us. No, easy. You've been listening to Inspiring Stories here on 882 6PR. Everyone has a story to tell. This one is brought to you by Bower and O'Day. We look forward to you joining us again next time as we
0: unearth another
1: WA inspiring
0: story. You're listening to another inspiring story brought to you by Bower and O'Day.